Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com. We are joined today by Post-Dispatch columnist Ben Fredrickson. We've got a lot to get into. We are uh, hoping to have a guest later on in the pod. That's the plan, at least. Uh, we're going to be joined, hopefully, fingers crossed, by Dave Steckel, former Missouri defensive coordinator and, and newly hired St. Louis XFL team yet to be named but it's got to be the battle hawks right um linebackers coach he's going to take on that job on that staff uh when they start playing next year but he also more relevant to us he has the call this week on sec network plus for the missouri abilene christian game his second game uh calling the tigers this year on tv but before we get to that and i don't know how much we're going to discuss the uh wildcats of abilene christian probably none uh, we need to discuss Missouri's game against the Kansas State Wildcats, where Ben and I both were on a rainy Saturday afternoon, and really all the fallout since then. It's been uh, it's been pretty ugly. Lots of toxicity, as the word uh, Eli Drinkwitz used several times on Tuesday. Uh, ben, let's get into it. What do you think? What are our what are our first takeaways from that disaster of a game in Manhattan? Well, I want to start with a positive, not about anything about the game, because there is there are none, really. Um, I, I do want to um, if you if you get stuck and if you don't if we don't get him this week, we'll get him we'll get him later on in the uh, in the season here. But if you get him, tell him congrats on the on the Battle Hawks gig, which I hope it's named the Battle Hawks. I look forward to seeing him here in St. Louis. And the other thing, too, um, I tell him that he has allies in the the war against going deep shotgun on short yardage, you know, situations. Uh, he's, been, he's been campaigning against that during the broadcasts and, and he's, it's finally, you know, it's finally being talked about. Not, not enough, but uh, when you see third and one, fourth and one and got a shotgun, it drives other people crazy too. So I appreciate him being a, uh, a voice to the masses on that front. And as uh, the Denver Broncos, they fumbled twice on the goal line with shotgun <laughs> handoffs. Well, you know, practicing um, in the preseason and actually playing in those games and you have a, uh, a new quarterback and a new head coach probably be a good idea for the Broncos, yeah. but uh, we've got other dysfunction to discuss today, Dave, and <laughs> you and I were there in Manhattan and look, I guess, you know, I don't want to go on too long of a rant here. We'll kind of go piece by piece, but the, the, the feeling that I walked away with was disappointment in this team, disappointment in Eli Drinkwitz's job preparing this team, because you and I are both pretty practical. We went through our season picks game by game earlier. Um, so we weren't phonies. We showed up there expecting that Kansas State would win the football game. And, and I don't think that that they're only – the only way to have a, a decent showing there was to win at all. And I don't want to be, you know, a hindsight is 2020 guy. We both thought Mizzou would have a hard time winning that game. We both thought Kansas State's a very good team. And and still, I was stunned by just how unprepared Missouri looked. They were outcompeted, outclassed in pretty much every phase of the game. The offense had no answers. The line play was was porous at best, atrocious at worst. The defense got better as the game went along, but it but it wasn't disruptive. It, it didn't it didn't get in the backfield. It, it didn't it didn't put any pressure on the on the quarterback. 
Um, you've had a special teams mistake where one of the best special teams teams in the country returns a punt for a touchdown and only had to break one tackle to do so. Um, I mean, you had the list goes on and on, and it just looked like Missouri was not prepared or totally outmanned, um, both of which are significant problems for a team in year three. So these kind of losses, they really should be behind a team by now. However, we've seen it happen in the past where a team looks really lost early in the season and comes back from that. So, you know, to me, it, it's a lot of the conversations that have come out of this are, are premature, you know, about, you know, Drinkwitz's future and all that stuff. However, these are the kind of games and the kind of performances that expedite those conversations um, for a coach in year three in the SEC. So I, I get they're feeling like the, uh, you know, the world is crashing down a little bit. Uh, it's not how they, but they do have to make sure they don't have performances like that moving forward. This, this has to be the bottom for this team. If people are going to, you know, get back on board, because right now I think there are a lot of people saying this should have been behind them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, after game one, drink, which pointed out some mistakes on offense and said, these are all really easily fixed. A um, couple penalties, couple uh, miscues, little technique issues here and there. It didn't seem all that concerned. The things we saw go poorly, and we're talking about the offense at K-State. I don't know if those are overnight fixes. They got beat on the line of scrimmage so bad that I, I just don't think you can look at those the offensive linemen and tight ends and say, oh, just, just be better the next game. Well, they're going to look better Saturday against an FCS team, but um, I don't know if there's any short-term solutions for those things. And I, I know there was a lot of um, fixation on the four straight interceptions, uh, that was bad, obviously, but I thought that game was already over at that point. It was 20 to three when the interception started. Missouri was not going to make a comeback to get that score evened up or even really close. The defense was playing better in the middle of the game. Maybe if the defense scores like three touchdowns in a row, um, but they were so inept at the start of the game on the line of scrimmage. I mean, those running backs were getting tagged before they had a chance to really even get the ball settled in their arm. Um, you know, eight of Nate Pete's 14 carries, I think I've got the numbers right, went for one or zero or negative yards. I mean, he was just getting swarmed. Brady Cook ran the ball pretty well early. That was clearly the plan. Um, you know, get him involved in the, uh, in the design running game. And it was working, and then it stopped working. And K-State wasn't blitzing. They weren't sending an extra pass rusher. Uh, they were covering everything downfield for the most part, it seemed, and just beating Missouri up front one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes three-on-five or four-on-five or whatever it was. And those are the things that I think you worry about that cannot be fixed right away. Uh, it doesn't appear that they're going to scramble the depth chart, you know, even though Drinkwitz changed quarterbacks mid-game, he made it pretty clear that Brady Cook's a starting quarterback. You asked the question, did you consider putting Sam Horn in there at all? And he was very quick to say no. Um, so I don't expect a whole bunch of immediate changes. They're just going to have to bet on these guys getting better. Um, 
you know, you'll tweak the offense. Like I, Eli says things like, Hey, the foundation of the offense isn't going to change and people are in an uproar. They're always, they're going to adjust. You always adjust. You don't just run the same plays all the time, but those were the plays he thought would work against K state. And they clearly didn't. And was it play calling? Probably. Was it execution? Yes, definitely. Uh, they just weren't blocking man for man up front. And that's a problem. Like that's, that's a big, big problem against a decent defense, a good defense any SEC defense, it's going to be a problem. So I think these problems could be more systemic, more long-term. Listen, I don't think anybody expected Brady Cook to be an all-SEC quarterback this year as long as he was steady and managed the offense and put the ball in the playmaker's hands. And he he struggled to do that Saturday. There's no way around it. And then the turnovers made things a lot worse. So I don't know if there's any quick-fix solutions at this point other than just scheduling Abilene Christian, but that's only going to last you one day. Then you've got to go to Auburn and Georgia and Florida. So, um, yeah, things things look pretty grim. The offensive line play is not probably high on a lot of people's list of talking points because it's not like a sexy topic ever. But I, it's hard to talk too much about the play calling, about the quarterback play, about the you know the lack of touches for Luther Burden without starting at the line. And when you're getting steady pass rush off of a three-man front, you can't exactly expand your playbook. I mean, Eli talked after the game about how they were paring down their playbook as the game went along, just trying to find things they could execute. So it almost went counterintuitive to the, to the theory of like, they need to open it up. They need to get more creative. Well, if you can't do the most basic things your offense needs to do, then how can you, how can you pull out the, the stops and get really right. razzle dazzle. One thing you need to do to, to create those more, you know, uh, exciting plays you, you need you need time especially if you're going to do developing things in the backfield if you're going to do a double pass if you're going to do a reverse if you're going to drop back and, and run verticals and throw the ball downfield in big chunks what do all those things require time you know right. you have to have space from the from the defensive players who are trying to get to the quarterback and they didn't have that so if you can't get some sort of better production along the offensive line a lot of these problems are going to continue However, I don't think they exactly negate the other issues. Um, this, to me, was a flash of the potential worst-case scenario for the quarterback position of this team. If Brady Cook can't be the guy who can go out and win SEC games and Missouri swung and missed on three potential transfers who came in and visited this offseason who then went elsewhere, and Jack Abraham is the guy that we saw on Saturday, then this team doesn't have – and Sam Horn's not physically ready, which is the impression that – we got from Eli, this team has a real quarterback issue. It's the most important spot on the field. Um, Drinkwitz is praised for his recruiting. This is a quarterback situation that he tried to address and he didn't. And, and now it's, unless that was a mirage, unless that was a blip, then that could be a problem. You've got this running back by committee. Every running back who ran the ball in Manhattan averaged less than, I think it was like two and a half yards of carry or less. Um, they don't have a, a running back who can create holes in an offensive line. They don't have a running back who can take a broken play right now and turn it into a touchdown. Um, we haven't seen that yet if they do, and that's, that's hurting them. Um, the burden situation, and I did a chat this week at stl3.com, and it's filled with people like fearful that Luther Burden's going to transfer, and they got to change this offense to get him more touches. And I agree that he needs more touches. 
because he's a dynamic player and this team needs dynamic answers. This notion of like creating running your offense out of fear of one player transferring is a great way to lose a ton of football games. No player on a team is more important than the team. And any team that convinces itself of that is 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 destined for failure. Also, Luther has has had some some freshman rookie mistakes here that it's natural, but he can play right. better too. He's had balls hit him in the hands. He hasn't caught. He had a ball in Manhattan he could have laid out for. That would have been a potential momentum-changing play that he didn't. Um, he has not been perfect. Now, can they use him better? Yes. How you go to Manhattan and you don't run the Wildcat that we saw um, in week one when your offense can't do anything. I mean, yeah. it was literally punt, 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 or interception, interception, interception. They had two field goals in, in 13 drives. And the only reason they scored, Dave, is because they called what I think is the most embarrassing timeout that I've seen live in person, where you call a timeout with five seconds left in the fourth quarter when you get your teeth kicked in. So you can then take advantage of a defensive penalty to score a meaningless touchdown that said you got one. Now, I guess some people call that fighting to the end. To me, it's like, what are, it's, 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 what are, we, what are they doing here? Um, and I've heard from fans who were frustrated by that. But my point is the offense had nothing going and you didn't want to see maybe what Luther Burton could add to this game in a wildcat. It can't be your, your base offense, but maybe it could have done something. You put Jack Abraham in to try to get a spark at quarterback and you don't put Luther Burton in at wildcat once. I, I didn't understand that. I think that gets back to maybe the what Missouri has to get better about what happens when things don't work. Right. Doing the same thing over and over again, that doesn't make it better. This side-to-side offense. Um, actually, when they started moving the ball, there were two things that, that actually worked, Dave. One was Brady Cook running for his life effectively, which is not really a game plan because we right. saw what happened. He started getting killed. Two, when they started actually trying to move the ball downfield early in the second half. Now, it was after that that the four consecutive interceptions happened. So you can see maybe why they didn't come out trying to, to chuck it downfield, but Maybe you have to risk a little bit of that just to try to move. If you can't run the ball effectively, and I think that's a big part of this, then you can't throw the ball down the field because right. teams will teams will take that away. So they've got to figure it out. It all, I think, starts with the offensive line, though, as you said. Yeah, yeah. A, a few points from Drinkwitz's press conference, and we'll get to the, the big point about his press conference. I asked him about the running game. Uh, one thing he said was there was a point early in the game where they threw six straight passes Two of those, he said, were RPOs, run pass options, where they should have run the ball. The right read was a handoff. Uh, so that's on that's on Cook for not reading it right. And he didn't call out Cook, but basically said, you know, they weren't making the right call there. That's not to say that it was it would have been a first down run or anything like that. But there are options the quarterback has back there that that can, you know, if he makes the wrong read, you're in trouble. Uh, and apparently that that was the case there. You know, they were in the little bit we get to see a practice uh, last Tuesday. They ran some Wildcat stuff with Luther in like a walkthrough part. So it appeared that there's no reason to practice that on a Tuesday if you're not going to run it in the game, unless by, you know, Wednesday or Thursday decide, hey, this isn't the right look and they scrapped it. But they were definitely working on it. I think it was going to be a staple of the offense. I don't know why they never got to it. Um, and then a comment that, that Drinkwitz made on Tuesday, I asked him about Burden and I, I, was trying to delicately phrase the question to good to get answer. I don't know if the question was very good, but I thought his answer was good. It was at least interesting. He said, I'm trying to balance the external noise of expectations on Luther with, with what we also need to get out of him. He's like, we need to get him more touches. There's no doubt. He didn't deny that. He 
He said, I have to design more plays directly for him. But he said, we also have to play him fewer snaps. Now, and as soon as I tweeted that, you know, I instantly got the, the uproar from fans. Like, how can you play him fewer snaps? And his point when he said he played 65 snaps. Now, Missouri only had 66 in the game, and Luther didn't start. Mookie Cooper got the first play. So his, his numbers might have been a little bit off, heat of the moment, talking about the situation. Either way, when you're playing that X receiver position and you're going deep on a lot of the snaps, you know, you might get worn down, especially a freshman in a second game. And if you're not, if, if you're tired or if you're just worn out, you're not going to be as effective in the second half. So I see his point. You know, I think they, they want to be more efficient with Luther, give him a lot of snaps, but maybe not play the entire game because the whole the whole point of this receiver group was supposed to be its depth. Um, week one, fans weren't happy that Mookie Cooper wasn't getting any touches. Well, he's Luther's backup. So you can't, they both can't play every down. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they use him going forward. And I'm not going to read too much into whatever happened against Abilene Christian because that's, you know, that's an FCS team. Um, but let's, let's get into what Eli had to say about feedback social media toxicity the question was posed how do you think brady cook will handle his first you know bad game and uh eli went into a bill parcells quote we should probably just read it because i i posted on twitter of course you can never get the full context with a tweet um i, I included it in a story today uh you know he talked a lot about you know just the scrutiny that you get when you play this sport here's the quote there's an old bill parcells quote that talks about Losers assemble in groups and complain, and I would add get on Twitter and message boards and have all the answers, while winners assemble as a team and find ways to win. That's what we're going to do. We're going to assemble as a team and find ways to win. We're not going to focus on the toxicity or negativity. That has nothing to do with winning and producing the outcome that we want. So our focus is how do we circle up as a coaching staff, as players, as the Mizzou football program, and find ways to win. That did not sit well with the fans <laughs> on social media or, or on my story, just based on the emails and comments and things like that. Um, the interpretation was, we're all complaining about this game and Eli's calling us losers for complaining. <laughs> ben, your thoughts? I, I see both sides of this. Uh, I think if it's if people are identifying as losers on Twitter and message boards, then it's probably a case of hit dog hollers, right? Um, <laughs> if you feel like that's targeting you, then maybe you need to do some self-reflection there. Um, I also think that Eli is kind of in a spot where really his – and I'm not ever going to say guys shouldn't say what he thinks. I, I like Eli's candidates. I like his sense of humor. Um, but – in this moment, if I were his uh, PR advisor, which I'm not, but I might tell him, "Hey, keep it, keep the focus on what what you got to do and what the team's got to do, and not other uh, not other people." I've I've had this conversation with multiple coaches, with with managers. Um, I won't mention specific ones, but my 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 thought to them has always been like, "Here's what I tell them." I said, "Have you ever had a?" I actually had this conversation recently with with someone not at Mizzou. I said, "Have you ever had a case of poison ivy?" And they say, "Yeah." I said, have you ever scratched it and it feels good in the moment? And then you wake up the next day and you've made it way worse. And they said, yeah. I said, that's kind of like weighing in on what you think of Twitter and message boards. Right. Um, because you might say something that's right and you might feel good when you say it, but chances are you're going to create more of a mess for yourself because 
very few people who are being negative on social media or message boards are going to hear something like that. So, you know what? He's right. I should really be more positive. I've changed my outlook on life. And, and really what happens is the people who are, who are kind of in the middle hear that and go, why is he worried about Twitter? He needs to go right. win games. He needs to fix this offense. And that's a fair response. So I, I get his point. Um, and I think that in some ways he's, he's probably talking about his team. You know, yeah. it can be easy to play the blame game within a within a locker room, especially when so many things went wrong. So um, I just I've seen I've seen coaches try to kind of uh, push back against the mob and it it doesn't really work. I think Gary Pinkle always played it the best way where he just basically acted like it didn't exist. Um, and that that frustrated people because he seemed tuned out and he seemed deaf to the noise. But that's really the, probably the best the best way to play it. And, and I think it, you kind of develop that, that skin over time. And I'm not perfect at it. Not that I get nearly as much as right. criticism as, but we all do. Right. I mean, anyone who's in media these days gets, gets, gets chirped and that's fine. It's part of it, but you know, we all respond to it better than, than others. So I don't, I don't hold it against them for, for maybe firing off a little bit. I'd point out that, that Sam Pittman was, was ripping the Twitter to- trolls down at Arkansas this past week and no one cared because he's two and zero with wins against Cincinnati and South Carolina. Right. So where you are when you comment on these things sure seems to make a difference in the, uh, in the reception, his point, if you actually read it are, are valid, they can't afford to sit around and worry about what outside people are saying or thinking about their team. They've got to right. figure out a way to improve this thing. And if they don't, then, then things are, are going to be pretty bad. Um, I mean, that's a, that's what struck me is, we've seen teams have bad games before and come back and have okay seasons. And that really now has to be the goal for this team, but there's going to need to be a lot of work and there's going to need to be proof that, that what happened there was not just an inability to do the job, but was either, you know, a team not being prepared or a team being out of its element or whatever, not that any of those things are excusable, but I think the fear for a lot of people moving out of that Kansas state game is that this wasn't a team that, had a bad day or it wasn't a team that that just couldn't couldn't play like it's play like itself I think the fear was that's this is this team and if that becomes the, the defining trade over the course of the season then it's going to be hard for for Eli to do what this season needs to do which I've said from the beginning it build up a lot of excitement for what should be a very big year four um, you can't you can't argue that if this season is a bust a big bust I mean even lower than meager expectations then people are going to be excited for year four of this I mean this season kind of needed to be the hype builder for what needed to be a year four now that can still happen but I think the fear right now is like how can that happen after what we saw in Kansas State and that's what this team has to work really hard at figuring out can be I mean you remember it's to me it was the worst Mizzou loss I've watched in football, the mo- in terms of how it felt, um, you know, remember when Barry lost at home, Barry Odom lost at home to Purdue. Yeah. Bad. I mean, it was the team that looked like it rolled over. And we, we sat there and said, man, this is how this goes. Then, then this season is, this is a disaster. And they turned off and, you know, they, they, they got a little better against better. And then they r- ripped off a winning streak and now wound up in a bowl game, which no, there was no parade for that season. But if you would have defined that season in that moment, then everybody would have given it a big fat F. And that's kind of how the feeling is now. But it turned out to be, you know, a season that 
suggested better ones could be coming. Now, it didn't end up working out for Barry Odom. Um, Eli Drinkwitz is a different kind of coach, but he's in kind of a similar spot right now where it's about 500 and you're looking for ways it's going to get better or worse. And he just took one of the most deflating losses in his three seasons at Mizzou. So yeah, there's going to be some people maybe separating themselves from him. It's fascinating to me because he had so much, I mean, the recruiting that he's done has gotten him so much support. I mean, I've heard from fans, we had such better recruiting rankings than Kansas State. How did the Tigers lose? And it's like they've convinced themselves that what he's done in class rankings is all of a sudden just going to lead to, you know, championships. And that's not how it works. I mean, Missouri's high water mark came under Gary Pinkle, who basically spit on recruiting rankings. Now, his best years came when he got his best recruits, but it was it, he had guys like Sean Weatherspoon who were going from three star recruits to to really talented linebackers. The development was there. That's clearly happening at K-State right now which is no surprise because it's the foundation of what Bill Snyder's program was about. The idea that just recruiting well on paper is going to all of a sudden lead to this massive breakthrough. That's not how it works. You have to recruit well and develop. You have to have a system that works. You have to keep recruits who come in from leaving and going elsewhere. Um, You know, everybody wanted to to make a a big deal when I said, hey, Makai Wingo leaving is not a good thing. And now look at what he's doing at LSU. You think that could have helped him against K-State? Yes. Keeping guys in-house who you get is part of it now. So I I, I do think some people are wrestling with if they were all in on Drinkwitz as the future of this team, they're now now not handling the reality check kind of well. And it doesn't mean it's not going to work, but it just means that maybe they were a little too over their skis in the beginning thinking this was going to be some big easy thing for Drinkwitz to pull off. Right. Absolutely. That's something I am absolutely fascinated by and and this is this is year 25 for me covering Mizzou football in some capacity I've never seen two things I've never seen this fan base completely embrace and fall in love with a coach the way they did Drinkwitz over the last couple years and I, I think a lot of it was and that includes basketball coaches there was a lot of love for Quinn right away um you know nobody really else on on in that sport um but it was based on he had this kind of magnetic, almost cocky persona and charisma. And it was seen in press conferences. It was seen when he'd go on SEC Network. It was seen on Twitter, which is kind of ironic. Um, they, they loved his online persona. Um, he got credit for doing things on Twitter that, that maybe uh, past coaches wouldn't have done, just didn't care about. And it, it, it built up this, this uh, I don't want to use the, the C word cult, but there was this fascination with this guy that wasn't based on the results yet. And I think he was even aware of it. He made the comment, it wasn't this year at SEC Media Days, it was last year, where he was asked about this popularity. And he said, Twitter ain't real. Like he was aware of it, but he was also kind of creating this, this persona because he had so much fun with it all. And people just loved him. Um, you know, when he would miss out on an in-state recruit, there was so much spin, like, hey, don't matter. He's getting everybody else. He doesn't miss. Um, and I, I, it was all built up, which, which happens. I get it. I understand how it happens in today's culture. But what's equally fascinating is in those 25 years, I've also never seen the fans turn on a guy 
so quickly like they did over the course of Saturday's game and since then. Now, again, this is mostly on, on, on Twitter and social media comments, emails I get. I know you're getting emails during the game the other day, which is kind of the <laughs> – you can tell when you're getting an email during a game. It's maybe a little older generation of folks that pull out the computer and, and email, which is great. I love hearing from them, um, you know, message boards, things like that. But the guy that they had up on this pedestal now is – is just getting dragged through it all. And it's, it's crazy really to, I mean, this guy could walk on water a week ago, a week ago when he got the Logan Riker commitment from Raytown, another four star, the guy just can't miss. He does it all. He's great. Give him a contract extension. There was a lot of talk about that from the fans this off season. Give him a raise. He needs it. And now a lot of those same voices are putting together coaching search lists. I mean, isn't it crazy? I mean, if, if part of it's just the culture and where we are and, and the, the megaphone of, of, of social media. Uh, and I don't even want to say it's anonymous anymore. I and mean, these are people putting their names and faces out there with, with these opinions. Um, and that's not to say they're wrong. Maybe this isn't going to work. You know, there's no guarantee. Everybody thought Scott Frost would work. How's that working out? Um, but man, it has been, it's been fascinating to watch and to witness it unfold in real time. And Eli's, I, I do believe that he's not, that he's not absorbing all of this stuff on social media, like have a pretty good feel just from conversations that he's trying to ignore it. Um, but it is kind of impossible to completely ignore it in your orbit. You know, he's got kids, he's got family. I mean, you know, there's a lot of chirping going on right now. Um, so it's going to be interesting just to see how he handles it um, with, with, the comments aren't as important as the actions and the decisions that he makes leading up to these games. Uh, and here's the, here's the wild thing. If they'll win Saturday. If they go down to Auburn and win, and that's not a huge upset, <laughs> these voices are going to just completely pivot, won't they? I mean, that's just probably team B three and one with a big road win at Auburn. Uh, that's just where we are in, in college football. That's what makes this sport so ridiculous because these same things are being said in, in college station right now um south bend indiana all over the place because it, it's this is not the only place where this is happening right now yeah i kind of told i tried to give mizzou fans some advice i said hey look around there, there are always teams feeling worse than than you are not mm -hmm. that, that should be the uh, standard here but you know a and m thought it was going to be in the title title game and right they, they lose to eli's old team which that's actually kind of interesting. And it builds the case that that, that at state's a hell of a program. And, uh, you know, whether, no matter who their head coach is, you also have, uh, you know, you have Notre Dame now with, with feeling pretty good after it's Ohio state loss, um, you know, and that turnaround lose to Marshall. And, and I'm sure folks are, are stressed, stressed out there. Nebraska's season, whole season is shot. You, you show a guy enough faith to bring him back for year five and fire him three games in. Georgia Southern's a good, good football program. I guess it doesn't matter to anybody in Nebraska. And maybe they shouldn't have brought Frost back in the beginning. But if you bring him back, you at least wait, wait three weeks and get a cheaper buyout by eight million. Right. You know, if they don't hire Mark, if they don't try to hire Mark Stoops from Kentucky, they're crazy. But that's a story for another time. I said when Eli was hired, and look, I've had as much fun with the Eli Twitter. Twitter persona. I mean, I had a blast at SEC media days when he was walking around throwing zingers out Steve Spurrier style. Like, right. I covered the hell out of that. It was fun. 
But I said from the beginning, and you can back check me on this, Dave. I said the worst case scenario here is that he's Butch Jones at Tennessee. Yep. That there's excitement, there's buzzwords, there's social media acronyms, and there's all of this new age, you know, don't be an energy vampire, you know, one inch at a time, blah, 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 blah. And everybody buys in and it, it almost becomes this like this swarm. As you said, he had two nine win seasons at Tennessee, which at this point in Mizzou, two nine win seasons would be very good. And then it just tanks. And, and it's like, who was this guy? How did this happen? Couldn't keep players, you know, couldn't, the recruiting was there on paper, but it never really panned out as like, as it should have on the field. There was constant turnover on the staff. Um, and, and there, I see some similarities there. Now I don't, you don't know which way it's going to go, but I, that was a good example of what happens when a fan base is so high on a coach and then completely pivots and in the backlash can be ugly. I don't know that it's there quite yet with, with Eli. I'll say this, the Twitter stuff, it doesn't matter because a lot of these times these people sending tweets, some of the ones firing off angry emails, they're not actually the ones going to the games, right. Supporting the team. However, there is, there is something there that can't be ignored. Um, if, if people are, are out and they won't go to games and the attendance is, is, is crap after that really encouraging home opener they had, where the student section was great. I mean, the vibe was good at the La Tech game. We were both there. Yeah. If that falls off, that is a measure measurement tool that you can't just completely ignore. Um, we've seen that happen in men's basketball, um, you know, where you just can't get to the point where you can't ignore empty seats. So I think that will be a better metric for where fans are. Um, and I think that is something that you put a little more stock into than just people venting on the internet but I mean Desiree Reed Francois was there in Manhattan and I can't imagine that she liked the way her football team played yeah, um, yeah. you know she she has shown that if she's in a spot where she has to pick stay or go with the coach that she inherited it and she feels like the program's not going in the right direction she'll make the change um, I think that's again more of a year four conversation however right it that can be expedited I mean, we, we see we see those things happen all the time. So more games like Manhattan will turn the, the, the heat up on that on that pot. And it's it might be steaming now, but it, it can be boiling if they don't figure out a way to put a better product out there. I, I don't think Saturday is gonna tell us anything. I think Saturday you go out, you win big, you get Luther Burden a ton of touchdowns, as many as you can, and and then the a better test is gonna be Auburn. Auburn is, I don't think, as good of a team as Kansas State, but you do have to go on the road. They've struggled to play well on the road. It's going to be a, an intense atmosphere. And, you know, again, not a not a game, again, where I feel like you have to win in order to, to, to save the season because this season to me was always about looking, being in the right spot, having the right guys in place for what should be a year four that, that really leads to heightened expectations. Now, maybe that's too cautious on my part, but if you don't see a better – effort a better execution better all-around play in Auburn then then I don't know how you're going to do this against Georgia's and 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 Kentucky's and you know you're basically saying okay you got Vanderbilt and New Mexico State and after that buckle up right yeah I I think it's worth ending with some perspective so Eli is through 25 games at Missouri he's 12 and 13 through 25 games at Missouri Barry Odom was 11 and 14 so one game off you got to throw in the caveat that Eli had that 10-game SEC-only schedule. 
So he didn't get, you know, the three easy wins from non-conference play and he had to play two extra SEC games. So the record is still is, is more than just one game better than, than Barry because the degree of difficulty has been tougher. And what did Barry do when he was 11 and 14? Year three, he went eight and four and went off and, and, and went on a run there. What happened in year four? He got fired. So, you know, it, there's no way to really predict how this is going to go. I think the SEC East is tougher now than it was when Odom was coaching in it. Um, I think it's tougher now than when it was when Pinkle won two SEC East. I don't think that's up for debate. So it's going to be a really, really interesting next couple months to see how he gets through this, to see how he handles criticism, if there is more, uh, to see how his quarterback and how his offensive line progress. Uh, we didn't even talk about the defense. They weren't great by any means on Saturday. I, they were good enough in the middle of the game to keep it competitive for a while, but still not good enough. So, uh, I, again, I don't. We're not. We're not going to learn anything against Abilene Christian unless they lose. You know, that's it. That's all you can learn in a game like this. Like, I guess if it's close, you know, maybe some more red flags go up, but. No, nothing really newsy comes out of this game unless it's a colossal upset. And I don't expect that to happen, but you never know. If they play like they did on Saturday, they will not cover. And that would be disappointing. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they can, hopefully they can at least kind of get their feet back beneath them. And I think Auburn is a, a really, a really good test here. I'll say this, you know, there's, there's been a lot of celebration of Eli, the recruiter, and when you're getting players like Luther Burden, that's exactly what you have to do to, to win at Mizzou. As year three goes forward, you would really like to see some of those players that are his guys right, emerge and start to take this season in a more positive direction. Um, every, every captain on this team, and I think there are, I last checked, there are like 35 captains. Yeah. I'm exaggerating. I think it's like eight. Every one of those guys, and you pointed this out, Dave, is a Barry Odom recruit. That's not stunning because of, they're the oldest because of, it, because of it being year three. But if Eli's recruiting is as good as advertised, year three, as it progresses, would really be the time of the in the process where you'd like to see some of the Eli guys yeah. really start to shine and show up and make a difference for this team. And and if that happens and that bodes well for what future seasons and and and, and things are going to look like, and if it doesn't, then I think it's fair to say, hey, this recruiting is praised on paper but why isn't it showing up sooner and better on the field? Yeah. Burden was the only freshman to see, to see the field Saturday on offense or defense. And uh, you know, I, that's so basically you're, he's still playing with a Barry Odom team with transfers with his own transfers. That's, that's what, it, and, and a few guys here and there, like a Dominic Lovett here and there. Uh, but this is still very much a group of players that he inherited. And that's not to say, Hey, the losses are on Odom, not on Drinkwitz. No, no, not at all. But not, we, not we're not, we're not seeing some of those not, are their best players. Some of those right, guys not, are their best players. One yeah, of them's not not the development. It's the development that right. we haven't quite seen yet. So, um, okay, let, let's get to Steck, uh, hopefully, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about, about the Tigers and his perspective as he gets ready to call him for a second time on TV. We are very fortunate to be joined by the one and only Dave Steckel. He is uh, Coach Steck to you and me. No K in Steck. Don't, don't forget about that. But uh, Steck is the, the newly hired linebackers coach for the brand new, unnamed St. Louis XFL franchise. We just got that news this week. And uh, for our purposes, we're going to talk to him about Missouri because he's going to be calling Missouri's game Saturday 
uh, as the color analyst. Second time this year for the uh, Abilene Christian game on SEC Network Plus. He's going to be up in the booth uh, with Courtney Lyle calling the game. And uh, Steck, welcome back to Columbia. You just got settled in. Uh, life's moving pretty fast for you these days. You're all over the place, aren't you? It is, Dave, and thank you for having me on. It, it's been a whirlwind. I, I've gone from sitting on my fat rear end to having two jobs all of a sudden, but uh, Mary Beth is ecstatic about it because I'm out of the house. I'm doing things, and I found out over this time that, uh, you know, I've coached a lot of great players and done a lot of things in coaching, but I found out you cannot coach your wife. That's, that's a fact. And I got the greatest wife in the United States of America, but she is uncoachable. So she's fired up that I'm out getting work done. Mary Beth and her brownies were, were a big talking point in the, uh, the first game you did against Louisiana Tech with all those takeaways. You brought it up every time. I think that the fans got a kick out of that. Well, that's, that's good. Those brownies were well known for my players. You got to do a podcast with my defensive players who got a taste of her brownies. They're great. In fact, it was a big talking point back home with a lot of our friends. And we actually played in a pickleball tournament. Oh, there you go. Yesterday, and the guy and everybody wanted to know if Mary Beth was going to bring her famous brownies, and she actually did. Wow. And they understood why they're so talked about, because they're so good. Hey, I wanted to ask you about another coach you know well. On Sunday, Matt Eberflus gets his first coaching victory in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. How cool is that? I mean, he was coordinator when you first got to Missouri in 01, and then you you took over for him in, uh, what, 09 uh, through 14. and that had to be pretty cool to see Ebert get that first win. It, it was fantastic. It was, you know, to tell you a funny story real quick is uh, Ebert actually was our GA at Toledo right. for about five months. And then uh, we had a guy left and they said, who should we hire? And the whole defense staff said we should hire Ebert. And uh, which he's, he's a great coach. And I've had a lot of great time with him. I texted him before the game, just to, you know, best luck with your first win and stuff. And, uh, he texts back, and I'm just really ecstatic for him. Now, just so you know, when he goes to the NFL, all of a sudden I tease him all the time because he went from Eber around here to Fluce. I noticed that. <laughs> I noticed that. Everybody in the NFL calls him Fluce. I'm like, I don't know that nickname. <laughs> exactly. People who in the college ranks know him at Eber, and in the NFL ranks, he knows him at Fluce. And so I guess someday we'll just put it all together, and he'll just be Eber Fluce, you know? <laughs> But I'm happy for him. Very happy. Yeah, for him. absolutely. Uh, all right. How about this this new job? The XFL is getting started again. Anthony Becht is going to be the head coach of the St. Louis team. He, he, they announced all the staffs this week, and here you are as the linebackers coach. I, I know it's all kind of coming together still. Uh, but what can you kind of tell us about this opportunity again? It's 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 a godsend. I mean, Anthony called me really way back in January. He said he might have an opportunity. So, you know, people who are organized start putting their little list together and. It's like Santa Claus and checking them twice and stuff. I said, yeah, keep me posted. I'm interested. And then uh, went out, went, met with him and, and Donnie Abraham. Uh, I guess it was probably in June or something like that. Anthony still does a camp there in the Tampa area. Uh -huh. and he does one in the Philadelphia from his NFL background and stuff. So I went down and met with them and stuff. And he called about, you know, I'm losing track of time. Yeah. But he called me. And I actually knew it when I did the last game that it, I was hired. Right. And it was just waiting for the formality. So being a loyal trooper, I kept my mouth quiet and <laughs> like I was supposed to. And I guess the announcement came out Tuesday and yeah. it has been a kind of a whirlwind since then. But I'm so excited about it. And, and you know, God's sense of humor, man. 
I'm getting to coach again. And oh, by the way, it's back in Missouri. So that's kind yeah. of cool. How about that? And now I guess the season, all I know is the season, the games will start in February. And the hub for all the team is going to basically be in Dallas. So you will spend a lot of your time in Texas and then go to St. Louis for home games. Is that how I understand it? Yes, but it's Arlington. Arlington. You know, Arlington. They're making it a point to say Arlington, um, which I think is great because I, I'm like there again. It's back in the old my old stomping grounds. Right. I recruited there for 12 years, so I'm That's like, right. oh really? And everybody goes, where are you staying? I said, you know that Hilton I used to stay at when I went recruiting. We're staying there. <laughs> <laughs> but the way I understand it to be is it's five weeks there, and it is the hub. Every team, two teams each of the eight, are sharing a uh, facility. Uh, so for like myself, I'm at, we're in Mansfield Stadium, which is the home of Kenja Jackson. That's right. That's right. For a throw out for Kenja. So I'm familiar with that area in the stadium, honestly. So I'm really excited to be, go there. And then, uh, yes, at some point after the fight, we, I got to be there. All I know is I got to be there January 4th. Yeah. Okay. And then the players come like about a week later and then there's training camp and then there's cuts and all those things. I want to say the, the weekend after the Super Bowl is the first game. Don't quote any of this. Okay. And uh, and then, yes, we're playing our games in St. Louis, and I'm so fired up to be back in St. Louis. And um, we'll see what our team name's going to be and team colors and all those other things. Well, St. Louis really embraced the last team, and it was unfortunately cut short by COVID, but I'm sure they will again, too, because it, it was a neat deal to have those games downtown. David, I'm excited about it, man. I, I have great memories about being in the Dome. Yeah, you should. You know, Way back from when I was and wasn't the coordinator and pick Brown scoop and score for 99 yards, Brad, Brad Smith's first start and electrifying the place. And my first time as a coordinator up there coming off the field. And I think it was 10, seven and people are booing me and yelling at me. And, <laughs> you know, we come back and spank them, Illinois and then uh, everybody patting you on the back after it's over. So I love St. Louis. That's it's how it a works. Great city. So I'm fired up about it. Do you uh, have any of your former linebackers like lobbied to uh, get a tryout or those guys are probably getting a little old now for, uh, for be playing professionally, aren't they? Well, I don't know, but after their great NFL careers, I don't know if they want to <laughs> come play in the XFL, but if Gatch Carr and Spoon and those guys, Z good and want to sign up, I'll, I'll push their name hard. <laughs> I, I see Brandon Barnes all the time. His kids go to my, my kids and his go to school together. So I can maybe get in his ear. I, I think he might be past his playing days. Yeah, he might be, but I'll tell you what, I love Brandon Barnes because you know what he he was only a linebacker with me for about four or five months. Yeah. Because he yeah. was he was played receiver, then they moved him to safety, right. and then he came to linebacker and, and he got a shot in the NFL as a linebacker. And I wish I could have coached him up a little bit longer, but he was a natural, phenomenal athlete, and you know what? Even a better human being. Yeah. I love Brandon yeah. Barnes. Well, let's let's talk about this Missouri team a little bit. You had the first game. And then Saturday's game was a lot different than the first game. Um, they're coming off this tough loss at K-State. You, you coach there, you know that's a tough place to play. Uh, if you're a, the head coach or assistant coach or coordinator in that locker room this week, what's, what's the message coming off, off a, a tough early season loss like that when you've got to get right back up and play again the next week? Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing beautiful about coaching. Um, is that you get another week. The, yeah. the bad thing about football versus baseball and basketball is you you ruminate about the whole thing all week long. Where right. you know basketball, you got a couple of days, and baseball, you got the next day. Right. My message would be, and I'm sure it's got to be drinks. Is okay. We had a tough loss. You know, 
Let's circle the wagons. Let's find out what we did wrong. And let's get back to our fundamentals. You know, what I saw in that game personally was a lack of fundamentals and a lack of some discipline with penalties and things of that nature. Um, he has a young team. How did that affect him with, uh, it, it's a lot of gymnastics going on, mental gymnastics going on. Yeah. When you have to delay for a game and then you go out and play and then they delay more, there's a lot of things going into that. And with a young team, how do you emotionally stabilize that in your mind to be able to regroup and play again? Right. You know, K-State had more senior players on them. And yes, it's a tough place to go in there and play with the purple. But what I think that's going to do for this team, in my opinion, is let's get back to circling the wagons. Let's get back to fundamentals. And as you go down the road, hey, guys, we can reflect back on this and how that atmosphere was to the younger players because, you know, they have a week this week to get back to that. And they can't take uh, Abilene Christian lightly, by the way. Right. They're a very well-coached football team. But now when they go down the next week into Auburn, which they should not be looking ahead, they're right. going to understand that we hate you environment. Right. And the young kids are going to understand what they're getting into and have the urgency of what's going ahead. So I think they still have a bright future. I still think it's a really good football team. I really do. And you, you experienced this here at Missouri. I, th I think of a couple different years where you have an early tough loss like that. The season's not over, and you coached on teams that went on great runs after a loss where maybe the fans are saying, oh, it's over. Like they, they, Every game's going to be like this now, but, but it's not, and you can bounce back. So it is, it is possible for teams to get better over the course of the year. Nobody wants to hear that or think that while they're going through a tough game, tough loss like that, but it is possible to, to turn things around within the same season, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and let me tell you something I said on the air against with this team. I came back and watched some practice this summer. Coach Drink was, was so kind to let me come watch practice for two days. And I walked away and said, you know what? This is a better football team than it was last year. Yeah. I think their skill level on offense is really good. I think their defense is much improved. I think Coach Baker's done a really good job of changing a, the scheme, of, tweaking the scheme. He didn't change the scheme. He tweaked the scheme, yeah. put his own little twist onto it brought his own intensity to it, number one. And I just said, you know, how good is the offensive defensive line going to be? And I said, this team's going to be better. Will it show up on the scoreboard? Yeah. Well, it didn't Saturday. And when, when you want to get on a run like you're talking about, the things that our teams did in the past was we got better every week. Yeah. The complacency didn't set in with the kids, and they worked hard. Our fundamentals were the same. We kept to our plan, All obviously, you know, Coach Pinkle's always about the plan and the process. And I agree with that. And our kids bought into that. Yeah. So that's what these kids got to buy into. Fundamentally, get better each week, David. And then let's see where the chips fall. But this team is a better team than last year. And the fans just, you know, Drink's got a good plan. They, yeah. they just got to get behind them. And I know it's frustrating. And guess what? However frustrated the fans are, let me tell you something the players and the coaches are more frustrated and they're the ones who are working diligently to get things going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're the ones living it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, you're a defensive guy, but if you look at Missouri's offense right now, um, day and night from one game to the next, to me, when I watched last week, I thought it all kind of started up front. They, they weren't as physical K-State veteran defensive front. Missouri's offensive line didn't quite, wasn't quite there 
is that where things got to start? Get get that line, get protect, get the protections figured out, and get get some kind of running game going. It, it always starts with the offensive line. You know, I think the skilled players are really adverse. I really do. I think uh, um, their receiving core is top notch. I really like Brady Cook. I mean, yeah. I really do. And uh, you know what? I, here, here's where I flash back to is we were going tooth and nail and we ended up, I think if the, my river serves me correctly, five and seven in 2012, when everybody said, Oh, you guys can't compete in the sec. And then they, and then when the season was over, I said, man, we told you so. Well, it's not an excuse. The reality is we had like two freshmen and three walk-ons playing on the offensive line by the end of the season, because we got decimated with injury. And the, the only guy who made it through that season carrying the torch was my, my long-haired hippie friend, Max Copeland, who I loved to death. <laughs> and then the next year, oh, we were real healthy on the old line. Yeah. So it does start with the old line. And I think the old line is very talented. And I, I think it's Coach Johnson is the offensive line coach. Right, Marcus Johnson, yeah. Yeah. You know, I watched him coach. And he, he teaches the right fundamentals. Yeah. So what does that transfer for? The old line's got to use those fundamentals. Yeah. And come out, and what they have to do too is they got to flush that gate. And what they have to do is get on their fundamentals, understand the scheme, understand who they're protecting, and then improve every week. They should dominate this defensive front for Abilene Christian. However, I will say this Abilene Christian has some really good players up front. Yeah. But Mizzou's better. Yeah. Now, show everybody you're better and then keep improving upon that. Uh huh. You uh, you got to call Luther Burden's first college game, and he did some he did some pretty impressive things in that game. Goes to K State and only touches the ball one time. Um, expectations for him are enormous. Idiots like me are hyping him up and, and writing all these great things about him as a recruit, as a freshman. What, put your coaching hat on. What's your message to Luther this week, coming off of a game where he's not accustomed to only touching the ball one time, um, and he's got a lot of a lot of games left, obviously. What, what's your message to him in the locker room? Luther, we love you, man. Keep your head up. You're going to get your touches. But on the other side of the coaching hat is he's a freshman. Yeah. And we, we had a kid who I absolutely love, who absolutely was a phenomenal football player, who absolutely was a first-round draft pick. And he struggled his freshman year, too, named Jerry Macklin. Okay? Yeah. And then he got hurt. And – it was the same thing. Hey, J-Mac, keep your head up, man. You're going to be, you're going to be an impactful guy. And he looked at you when he was young and said, huh? But guess what? Three years later, he not only was he impactful, he was a first round draft pick and the rest is history. And J-Mac to me is a phenomenal wide receiver. You know, the best two I've been around are him and Daniel Alexander. Right. And, and Luther, you're going to get your touches. You're going to get your things, but you know, hang in there. Keep working. Keep working. Things are going to happen great. We're going to get you the ball. Things are going to be happening. At the same time, he's got to keep working because he really is only a freshman, guys. Yeah. Now, you guys aren't idiots. It's just that the media <laughs> hypes him so much being the, uh, you know, the top five pick in the, in the uh, recruiting, I was going to say draft, and top five recruit in the country, number one wide receiver in the country, number one offensive kid in the country. But yeah, just remember who's hanging out those stars and all that stuff. And is he a great player? Yes. He's a freshman. You remember what you were like when you were a freshman in college? Barely, but yeah. <laughs> you know, you didn't know if it was Tuesday or Chicago, right? That's right. 
<laughs> the fans got the fans and the media got to take a deep breath, and he's gonna be he's gonna be just fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. He's got to he's got to lock in, and uh, and we'll see what he can do. Uh, defensively, you mentioned Blake Baker's system. I, I thought on Saturday they didn't lose the game by any means. They didn't make a lot of they didn't make the you know disruptive plays they did the first week. That you didn't see the tackles for loss. I think some of that was playing a mobile quarterback. They had to contain a little bit. Maybe they weren't rushing upfield as much. You didn't see the deflections or the, the takeaways, um, I, but they're, they're tackling really well. And I, that gives you a chance. What, what's just been your quick impressions on, on Baker's defense? Well, first of all, I think I, I have a lot of respect for coach Baker. I think yeah. he's a good ball coach and the way watching him coach and stuff. Um, I, I'm, I walked away very impressed. What needs to happen? The only two things I think that needs to happen personally is they got to do a better job of, being gap control, yeah. they got out of their gaps when when I think, you know, they shouldn't have. And two is they got to get off blocks. You know, what a lot of people call it block destruction. Bottom line is they have good hands, but they have to have quicker hands. They got to get off blocks, gap control, and get off blocks. But again, fundamentally, that's what they work on. So the onus has got to come back eventually to the players. You know, coaches coach, players play. Players play the way they're coached. So it's a big circle, I know, but I, I think Coach Baker's on the going in the right direction. Again, really good ball coach. Yeah, so. yeah. You you've been on both sides of these Power Five FCS games, Mizzou obviously, and then at, at Missouri State. Like, how important is it to get off to a fast start to kind of put away the FCS team so they they don't linger around and, and start believing they could win? Is that is that part of the the uh, part of the challenge? Absolutely. From the, from the Missouri side, it's absolutely. If you, you, I, you're t- you said that old coaches have these flashbacks, you know, <laughs> you know, I can't remember what the hell I had for dinner last night. Okay. Or what my wife told me before I left, other than she loved me is games come up. You made it a game and, and we play South Dakota state. Okay. And on the very first snap, it was a bad snap in that tailback. And I don't know his name. He started with a Z or something like that. Yes, I remember. He, he gets the ball and goes 82 yards for a touchdown. Yep. Okay. And then the offense goes out and go, what the hell happened? And they go three and out and they punt the ball. And then they go down and kick a field goal. And our sidelines were like, you would have thought our kids were like drowning or something. It was like, guys, take a deep breath here. We're okay. And then yep. I think we came back and dominated the game, if I remember correctly. But it, is, it goes to your saying is, you need to have a fast start because then it's like a little bit of an uphill battle on the flip side of it. Abilene Christian, those guys are saying, first of all, coach Patterson went out and got some transfers and this time they're transferred for, for BCS kids. Yeah. And they want to say, Hey, we can play against you guys. They want to come out and prove their merit. So the more you let them stay in the game, the more confidence they're going to get. And then it's more of that swimming, you know, flopping around in the water that they can't get to they need to go out and put them away quick and early and let the twos and threes play yeah yeah that's i think that's always the the unstated goal they never say that going into the game but that's what you, that's what you want to see um how are you evolving as a broadcaster now that you are officially you're still coaching now i guess but you are officially a part of the media up there with us trade now well, i'm a coach up there with you guys trying to straighten your asses out <laughs> okay, that, that too, that too. But we're we're sharing the same the same space up there. So you're you're up there with 
with us. Uh, how, how are you liking doing this? Um, do, you, do you take notes? Do you, do you try to get better every game or, or how do you do that? Absolutely. I always ask uh, my, my play-by-play person, my producer, my director. Uh, I come from that coaching mold. Yeah. I, I can take criticism. I'm okay with it. I want to get better. I'm like the young, I'm like the young Luther Burden getting, I'm the rookie. I, I don't mind being coached. I want to get better. And, uh, you know, an example is when I did the, the game last week uh, here, and then I, I don't know if you knew this, but I flew on, a, I jumped on a plane real early the next morning. I had to do the Vanderbilt game. Right, right. And the people at Vanderbilt, the producer there was awesome. He sent me an email Here's all the stuff you did good. Here's all the stuff you got to get better at. And I've read over that about three or four times. I'm feeling more comfortable um, being up there. And because rule number one, I didn't haven't done. I got to be me, you yeah. know? Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm Popeye, you know? I am who I am and that's who I am. And I wasn't being that. I was trying to be Mr. Professional, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I got to realize, hey, I'm just a slappy football coach. Let's get up there, have some fun and talk about the game and analyze the game and play off the play by play person. And, you know, hopefully Courtney and I'll have good chemistry and, and get that going. Working on some catchphrases. A, a few of them were catching on during the Louisiana Tech game. You're quick as a hiccup. That, that was getting popular. I, I saw yeah, that one. Quick as a hiccup cobbler. And then all of a sudden I got a text message in the middle of my game. She goes, OK, the first time was funny. Second time I smiled, third time, shut up already. I'm like, so what are you really trying to say, Mary Beth? So you know what? When you're married to Mary Beth, you got to take criticism, man. She's like another producer, isn't she? Absolutely. So, but, you know, I like that. And I got some catchphrase. And then the second game, she texts me. She says, says, what are you, Batman up there? Because I'm going zap, pow, zing. So. Well, you got to find yourself. That's good. That's good. Well, hopefully it's a a long career and you, uh, you can just be that slappy football coach we all we all know and love up in the press box. This was a lot of fun. I know you're just getting settled in. Uh, we'll see you uh, Saturday morning, I guess, getting used to these uh, 11 a.m. kickoffs. Now, this Missouri's going to be three in a row for them. So, got to get up early and uh, get, get caffeinated and, and ready to go for another football game. Best time to play, man. 11 a.m. kickoffs. They are the absolute best from a coach's standpoint. Hey, from Wake media up and play. Too, media standpoint, too, I like getting over with. You can watch the other games the rest of the day. You don't have to sit around and wait all day to work. Oh, it's great. I know the fans would rather uh, – they'd rather take part in uh, the festivities all day long leading up to the game, but I don't mind the 11 o'clock kickoffs. Okay, I just got to correct you one thing, David. Here's the difference between media and coaches, okay? Okay. It's not get up and get it over with. It's <laughs> get up early, let's go play. <laughs> I enjoy what I do. So it's not getting it over with. It's just when you're dealing with deadlines, you kind of want it. You want a little bit more freedom. You don't want to be as tense late at night. And then you've got, I've got my Mary Bess in my ear, my email, my (laughs) telling me what to do. They they don't bother me at the 11 o'clock game. So um, that's awesome. Well, let me tell you something. You do a great job of what you do. And I appreciate everything you've done for me in my past. Well, it's been my pleasure. It's been great. It's great seeing you. I hope you're doing some more games here and then we'll, uh, we'll revisit and do some more podcasts. That'd be awesome. I appreciate all your time. Thanks for having me on. Man. All right. Well, State Lewis. There you go. There you go. Look for Steck on the sidelines uh, in, in the, in 2023 in St. Louis in the dome. That'll, that'll do it for this week's podcast. 
We want to remind our listeners, please check us out at stltoday.com slash podcast, where you can find the Eye on the Tigers podcast and all of our other podcasts by our uh, great writers and reporters and columnists. Also, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you do, please give us a rating and a comment. Those ratings make it easier for other fans to find the podcast. We want to thank our guest, the one and only Dave Steckel. You can watch and listen to Steck from the booth at 11 a.m. Saturday on SEC Network+. Plus. For Ben Fredrickson, I'm Dave Matter. We'll talk to you next time.